that adventure. Well, well, suppose we begin the sitting. I make but a bad return for your kindness in giving me the sketch by thus wasting your time in mere talk. He had not long occupied the sitter's chair, looking pale and thoughtful, when he returned, involuntarily as it seemed, to the subject of the house in the back street. Without, I hope, showing any undue curiosity, I contrived to let him see that I felt a deep interest in everything he now said. After two or three preliminary hesitations, he at last, to my great joy, fairly started on the narrative of his adventure. In the interest of his subject, he soon completely forgot that he was sitting for his portrait. The very expression that I wanted came over his face. My picture proceeded towards completion in the right direction and to the best purpose. At every fresh touch, I felt more and more certain that I was now getting the better of my grand difficulty, and I enjoyed the additional gratification of having my work lightened by the recital of a true story which possessed, in my estimation, all the excitement of the most exciting romance. This, as nearly as I can recollect, is word for word how Mr. Faulkner told me the story. Shortly before the period when gambling houses were suppressed by the French government, I happened to be staying at Paris with an English friend. We were both young men then, and lived, I'm afraid, a very dissipated life in the very dissipated city of Arsajan. One night we were idling about the neighbourhood of the Palais Royal, doubtful to what amusement we should next betake ourselves. My friend proposed a visit to Frascati's, but his suggestion was not to my taste. I knew Frascati's, as the French saying is, by heart, had lost and won plenty of five-franc pieces there, merely for the fun of the thing, until it was fun no longer, and was thoroughly tired, in fact, of all the ghastly respectabilities of such a social anomaly as a respectable gambling house. For heaven's sake, said I to my friend, let us go somewhere where we can see a little genuine blackguard poverty-stricken gaming, with no false gingerbread glitter thrown over it all. Let us get away from fashionable Frascati's to a house where they don't mind letting in a man with a ragged coat, or a man with no coat, ragged or otherwise. Very well, said my friend. We needn't go out of the Palais Royal to find the sort of company you want. Here's the place just before us, as blackguard a place by all report as you could possibly wish to see. In another minute we arrived at the door and entered the house, the back of which you have drawn in your sketch. When we got upstairs, and had left our hats and sticks with the doorkeeper, we were admitted into the chief gambling room. We did not find many people assembled there, but few as the men were who looked up at us on our entrance, they were all types, miserable types, of their respective classes. We had come to see blackguards, but these men were something worse. There is a comic side more or less appreciable in all blackguardism. Here there was nothing but tragedy, mute weird tragedy. The quiet in the room was horrible. The thin, haggard, long-haired young man, whose sunken eyes fiercely watched the turning up of the cards, never spoke. The flabby, fat-faced, pimply player, who pricked his piece of pasteboard perseveringly to register how often black won and how often red, never spoke. The dirty, wrinkled old man with the vulture eyes and the darned greatcoat who had lost his last sou and still looked on desperately after he could play no longer, never spoke. Even the voice of the croupier sounded as if it was strangely dulled and thickened in the atmosphere of the room. I had entered the place to laugh. I felt that if I stood quietly looking on much longer, I should be more likely to weep. So, to excite myself out of the depression of spirits which was fast stealing over me, I unfortunately went to the table and began to play.
Still more, unfortunately, as the event will show, I won. Won prodigiously. Won incredibly. Won at such a rate that the regular players at the table crowded round me, and staring at my stakes with hungry, superstitious eyes, whispered to one another that the English stranger was going to break the bank. The game was rouge et noir. I had played at it in every city in Europe, without, however, the care or the wish to study the theory of chances, that philosopher's stone of all gamblers. And a gambler, in the strict sense of the word, I had never been. I was heart-whole from the corroding passion for play. My gaming was a mere idle amusement. I never resorted to it by necessity, because I never knew what it was to want money. I never practised it so incessantly as to lose more than I could afford, or to gain more than I could coolly pocket, without being thrown off my balance by my good luck. In short, I had hitherto frequented gambling tables just as I frequented ballrooms and opera houses because...